0: Welcome, I'm Polly Billington. I'm the chief executive of UK 100, which is a network of locally elected leaders from across the UK who have committed to achieve a net zero well ahead of the national government uh, deadline. They are from a uh, district council all the way up to directly elected metro mayors. And we make sure that they share information and advocate to government for change so that we can achieve net zero more quickly. Now in each of these climate conversations, a convener, this time that's me, brings together two people to share their perspectives on a particularly pressing issue in climate change. This time our focus is green finance and I've got two brilliant guests with me as our panel. I'll let them introduce themselves and then we can get on with the conversation, Nicola.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Nicola Ranger. I'm a researcher at the University of Oxford, but I also am deputy director of a new UK funded centre called the Centre for Greening Finance and Investment, which is all about trying to provide financial institutions with the information they need to support growth towards a lower carbon economy and and greater resilience. And my background is as a scientist, but also in, in policy in the UK and internationally.
2: My name is Kate Mackay, I am the Head of Legal at Nude Finance, which is a Glasgow-based fintech. We offer um, financial products to customers, um, including savings and investments products, and the investment product that we offer is a sustainable investment, which is the context of me being here today.
0: Thank you so much. Now, I think we need to start with some basics because um, quite often these terms can be used by people who use them all the time and everyone else. It can end up being a bit jargonish.
1: So can we start with what do we mean when we talk about green finance? So I actually read a definition before this, which is any structured financial activity created to create a better environmental outcome. So that's what the World Economic Forum says. I don't know about you, but that means very little to me. (laughs) But I think, I think basically the way I would think about green finance is it can be any type of financial product. It could be a loan from your bank. It could be funding for a business. It can be a bond targeted at helping a person or a firm become greener. So to help them reduce their emissions, to help them become more resilient, to become more nature positive. So it's funding for activities that are better aligned with environmental goals.
2: Is that a definition that you would recognise, Kate? I would Agree with that, Polly and Nicola, I think it could be a range of different finance instruments to use, you know, some more jargon, but all with a focused objective within the sort of green or environmental space. So
0: that's helpful for us to sort
2: of broadly speaking agree with what it is.
0: What it's not quite often is stuff which can sometimes be presented as green. But it doesn't really have the right kind of credentials. You know, people will talk about it being sort of greenwashing. Do we have enough sort of standards about what constitutes green finance so that the consumers that you're targeting, Kate, can be confident that the products that they're choosing have got some kind of quality, a kind of kite mark or something?
2: I think certainly from our perspective, I think that's a really good challenge, and that's something that we struggle with because I don't think that there is one universal set of standards or framework that everyone can look to and understand the meaning of. So it does present real difficulties. There are certain standards that can be used. And and I know, for example, that regulators are looking at this and, and talking about what we can bring in as a, as a sort of framework or a regulatory standard. That that may help. It, it may not come from a regulatory perspective, but I, I know that it's certainly, for example, in the Financial Conduct Authority, who you know NUD is authorised by, they're certainly doing a lot of work in this space as well to try and bring together some sort of framework or recognised standards.
0: That's really helpful. Nicola, from your perspective, obviously, Kate is offering a particular set of products. Why is that useful? How how can the
1: way money is invested help us tackle the climate crisis? What difference will this investment make? I think it makes a massive difference at all levels. So sustainable investing products, as as Kate mentioned, that are available to individual consumers. There's so much demand now for, you know, people across society, not just millennials, but but us slightly oldies as well, um, to actually know that when we're investing our money in our pension, in our bank accounts, that that's actually being used for things that are, that are helping the climate and, and not causing future damage to our children and our grandchildren's life prospects fundamentally. That's absolutely critical because until recently that didn't exist. So until recently you could just invest in, in your pension and you had no idea you know, really where that was going to um, in terms of the environmental goals. Well, that's, that's for the individual consumer, but now think much more broadly at the whole global financial system. Um, unless we start bringing um, these climate and environmental f- factors into those big financing flows, and, and this is where we get to that macro scale, Finance will continue to flow into different sectors that are damaging the climate. So, you know, at the moment, still a lot of finance is flowing, for example, into fossil fuel industries, into areas that are causing deforestation and biodiversity loss. How do we change that? I mean, that's basically the
0: question, isn't it? How do we shift people's investments away from brown, as they say,
1: into green and mainstream the kind of things that Kate's doing? There's things need to happen at multiple levels. So I think one is awareness of uh, individual consumers, firms, that when they are taking out a product like like a pension or, you know, they're talking to their their bank about where their money is being invested, that they actually are aware of this and they're, they're asking the right questions. And that goes throughout society. But then also at the top end, the investors that are putting, you know, institutional investors that are putting their money into big funds, again, are asking the right questions. So that's part of it. Another part of it is having those right regulatory frameworks. So, for example, the um, financial institutions and corporates have to disclose the impacts that they're having and the risks that they're creating. So that disclosure, so we have the information to even be able to make those decisions, which doesn't exist, actually, to a large extent.
0: So is disclosure enough in terms of regulation? So obliging people to disclose means that you know what they've done in the past, but does it actually reveal what is gonna happen in the future.
1: So that's a key problem. But the other key problem is that a lot of this disclosure is around the risks faced to an individual bank or insurer, for example. So it's the risk they face rather than the risk that we face as as the world. Right, yeah. Which is the thing that we need them to be disclosing. And actually, we so regulators are beginning to move towards disclosure and there are voluntary standards around that. So the impact that you're having rather than the risk that you yourself are facing. So they, these things are all happening. How good are they? Are you
0: confident that they're doing what they say they're doing? I mean, I think what sometimes those of us who would just want to get on with everything else in our lives will kind of go, oh, thank goodness, my pension's now aligned with net zero. I don't need to think about it anymore. Um, but somebody's got to do the scrutiny to check that it really is. And do we need that simply to be voluntary, or do we actually need some proper legislative regulation and can we do that when basically what a global financial system
1: well we do so in the uk as of actually the end of this year there there are mandatory disclosure um, regulations coming in but there's a lot of gaps so i think some of the biggest gaps are around data so just having the data to know, you know, if you're an institutional investor, for example, you're investing in 1000s of different um, firms all over the world, actually having the data to say is that, you know, individual investment over there actually creating a positive impact on the environment is really hard in a data sense. So there's a there's a big gap there that we need to fill as well in just providing the information for uh, investors at all levels to be able to making the right kinds of decisions. The decisions that investors make, those big investors, uh,
0: that's just as difficult for any business as well as any individual investor. What are the challenges and hurdles that prevent a business that wants to go greener and demonstrate its greenness in order to be investable by your uh, target market?
2: Yeah, I think that's a great question. And there are there certainly are challenges, I think, for any growing business that's, you know, SME-type size business and, and others, there is a challenge around the cost of becoming greener and taking those decisions. You know, I think you have to break it down into steps. I think for a business who hasn't taken any steps towards being greener, It feels like a very daunting, not just financially, for for lots of reasons, it feels like a very daunting thing to say, I'm going to go greener. So breaking it down into smaller chunks and understanding small steps that businesses can take is one element of it. And I think that there are great initiatives out there that I think can also help, such as B Corp, which is a sort of global movement accreditation that businesses can achieve. And they essentially and um, put themselves out there um and open themselves up to scrutiny from b corps from this organisation that comes in and assesses them and and either gives them gives them an accreditation or not
0: and does that work from your perspective nicola when you're talking to the big investors do they recognise that are they prepared to make decisions on the basis of that kind of accreditation that's a feel good factor but there's also the reason why money works is is to is to get a return on it
1: well i, th- I think there's a huge amount of evidence that actually investing in greener ways of working as a business do have significant returns, particularly over a couple of years, You know, increasing your energy efficiency, for example, you know, moving to more more efficient supply chains. All of this is good for the business as well as the, the climate.
0: What prospects have we got of, of getting there in the time that's required for the
1: investment to flow Bearing in mind we need to achieve net zero, Nicola. So so I like to be hopeful when I answer this question because I have two children. <laughs> but yeah, the, the big challenge is is very significant. You know, we have to reduce emissions very quickly. We should They should have peaked five years ago in reality and they're still going up. Mm. But to sound more hopeful, I, I think the transformation that we've seen in the past five years, it, particularly in the area of finance, has been... Amazing, yeah. I've I've worked in this area for for twenty years, and I really do feel that by by really mainstreaming climate into the way that we make our financial decisions, get getting that embedded into finance is, you know, a massive leap forward, you know, if we can get it into core decision making in government and in the financial sector, that makes a really big difference. So I'm very hopeful that things I think are starting to point in the right direction. Well, it's interesting you mentioned government, because ultimately,
0: there needs to be some kind of global agreements. But Uh, The UK uh, has got a quite unique position. We might only be responsible for 1% of global emissions, but 15% of global emissions are invested in the city of London. So we could lead by example if we were going to establish particular regulatory standards
1: on our own financial institutions in this country. So I I I completely agree with you that the UK can be a massive leader on this and it and it is a massive opportunity as well. So, you know, making the city of London, uh, the city of Glasgow, the city of Leeds, all of our big financial centres into global green finance centres is a massive opportunity because this is the way the world is going in every country. We're seeing movement. And, and what does that actually mean? So, these mandatory uh, disclosure regulations that are coming in this year i think they're going to be a really big thing we've seen the bank of england this year has done the first climate stress test so again this is all the sort of top down stuff i think we need to see more support for innovation so fintechs like katie's so i think it's that support at all at all levels as well as you know making sure this is built into the way our professional bodies work as well so you know when when bankers and insurers and investors are trained by professional bodies that it's in their training so i think it's thinking about you know making this a core part at many levels of of society
0: of course we've got to transform our own infrastructure in the energy sector in the uk and what's interesting is that there were um, a lot of people in the in the finance um sector will say, there's lots of sustainable finance. It's begging to to invest, it's just looking for things to invest in. And I know that our members who represent communities want to transform, generate clean energy, use clean energy, transform their transport systems, their their homes and buildings and heat, as well as do nature restoration, really struggle to access finance that works for them. Now, the UK government has just established the the infrastructure bank and Scotland has already also got an investment bank. What are the roles of these banks in helping to shape that market so that investors are comfortable investing in the transformation of this country?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think you know the Scottish National Investment Bank is a great example. I've followed closely since that's been established. I think it's a great example, as you say, of an organisation that exists. Um, if I can talk specifically about Scotland, I suppose to help to help promote that, to help get behind opportunities, investment opportunities, and provide confidence amongst those angel investors who are less focused on, you know, investing in something green or sustainable. And I think having an organisation like Scottish National Investment Bank absolutely could provide that backbone or confidence amongst private investors to back those entities that they otherwise wouldn't feel confident to do. So I I think it's a really exciting time for Scotland to see how that all plays out.
1: I I completely agree and and as so the public sector plays a, a really important role as you said in in helping to sort of de-risk some of these investments. The other part of it where I think the public sector can play a really important role is almost a sort of bundling because one of the challenges in this space is that a lot of these investments are really really small that that are needed. Absolutely. Yeah. And so you know, I was just talking actually to our local um Oxfordshire council recently and you know they just need ten thousand here, thirty thousand there to make big changes and actually, you know, who do you take that scale of investment to? So so the public sector as well, I think, can play a really important role in helping to create an infrastructure, a financial infrastructure that bundles those projects and makes it attractive to bigger investors then to come in and support them.
0: I'm going to ask a cheeky question. We run the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Sustainable Finance, which is a cross-party group of MPs who who are interested in sustainable finance. And quite often at the end of our sessions when, when we are talking to them about new financial structures, what the UK Infrastructure Bank could, should do, uh, what the UK Green Finance Institute are recommending, whatever, they say, OK, what do you want me to do? So what is the one thing that you would want to Westminster politicians to do that would make green finance more mainstream more popular and us actually really get
1: the, the finance to flow in the right direction I've been you know hanging out with bankers and investors for a long time and and now you know they're sitting in the pub discussing how do we develop a KPI for a sustainability linked loan but I think the main thing I hear from them so that you know the capital is there the keenness is there but having a strong sense from government of what actually is green. So having these standards and having that, you know, clear regulatory framework to do this is what they want to see. So I think actually the standards part is can actually be really important. It sounds like a very techy thing, but being able to say this thing is green, this thing isn't, and then the money can flow. So things have progressed a lot, as you say. Um,
0: what big changes do you predict it for this area in the next 10 to 15 years? Because obviously we've got COP round the corner, but those moments happen actually across the globe every year when they have the negotiations on climate. But money keeps flowing year round
2: and on and on and on. So what big changes do you predict for the next 10 or 15 years? I hope with my optimist hat, I hope that we see um, sustainable green investing becoming more mainstream and becoming part of the standard for the many reasons that we've talked about, including, you know, commercial financial benefits to sustainable green factors and characteristics in these investments as well. We're not we're not just doing them for the sake of doing them. I think. That, when we get to a place where we all understand that having climate-related or green factors taken into account within investing... That benefits everyone on every level, I think. I think the other one, you know, I can speak specifically in relation to startup and, and um investment that's going in there. I think we will see a shift in the in the forms of financing that we have available. Because at the moment it's fairly standard, fairly vanilla, you've got equity financing or, or debt, but I think that there will be a maturing of the market. Yeah,
0: it's definitely the, the innovation space is in the finance now rather than to the technologies. The technologies are proven. It's getting the business models and the finance right,
1: isn't it, mm. Nicola? What do you think? What what big changes do you predict? So I guess maybe to take a slightly more global view, because Polly, you made the great point that fifteen percent of finance is flowing through the UK. You know, we work a lot with um, with financial sectors all around the world. You know, at Oxford, we train people from from Kenya, from Nairobi, from. Uh, you know all over the world who are getting interested in this and that's what really excites me because if you look at where the future emissions are coming from but also where people are really vulnerable to climate change yeah it's it's in other countries and, and particularly these emerging and developing countries so so that's that's the big change that i'm seeing and i'm really excited about and i think as um the uk and in cop 26 that's the sort of broader transition we should be supporting as well
0: Well, thank you so much, both of you, for such a fantastically fascinating conversation about what green finance actually constitutes, how people can get involved in it themselves in terms of making some sensible decisions individually about how they invest and how they borrow, but also how the whole system has to be transformed if we're really going to get to net zero, because ultimately you follow the money. And that's why green finance is so important to the battle against climate change. Thanks again to everybody. I'm sure this will be uh, just one of a series of fascinating conversations on these podcasts. And I look forward to listening to more of them in the future. Thank you. Thanks. Huge thanks, of course, to Kate Mackay and Nicola Ranger. These climate conversations are from the Natural Environment Research Council and the Glasgow Science Centre. They're produced by Bespoken Media.